we talk about being the best versions of ourselves and so have i spoken about it but today there's someone who's here to tell us what it really means to be yourself hey there i am ishani nigam and you have tuned into my first step ever podcast i realized life's too short to postpone your dreams and too long to live someone else's so after failing thousand times i'm finally on a journey to fulfill my dreams of impacting people's life through what i do the best entertain and educate through podcasting digital content creation and thought leadership on this podcast i uncover stories that help you see why you must do what you want in life build conviction to follow them and how to build systems to sustain them and if you are an entrepreneur or a brand seeking exactly the same then i'm up for a chat on my instagram handle which is at my first step ever underscore in but for now if you want to achieve your goals and build never failing systems then what are you waiting for let's get started welcome on my first step ever If you love traveling and if you haven't traveled enough and if you feel do am I really missing out something in life well there are a lot of things that you can still do with wherever you are but there are amazing amazing some really interesting insights that people derive from the different places they migrate to or maybe the way they think about things they challenge the status quo as we all say so if you're really interested to know a lot about how or what is the right way of living or what is your way of living then welcome on this episode where we're going to discuss something really interesting very relevant and something that everyone talks about ikigai now if you haven't heard about that we will be uncovering and discovering a lot about that but knowing a bit more about the person who is going to bring a very different perspective from his angle so please join me in welcoming nicholas kemp nick hi nick hey ashani thank you so much for having me on your podcast and yeah it's always a joy to connect with people over overseas so we're extremely fortunate to have technology now that allows us to do that so actually sort of connecting with people is a source of ikigai for me so i really feel uh, very grateful to be on your podcast the pleasure is absolutely mine and uh, it is always very for me it's very intriguing to meet people with who have different perspective about the same thing which people are maybe looking at the same way because we never think about things differently and that's why it's very important to delve into stories of people who have done things differently so before we move into this conversation and i ask you some amazing questions that i would love to i like to introduce you to my audience my listeners today nicholas kemp is a father husband japanologist i'm going to ask you about this it's a very <laughs> new term for me researcher solopreneur and author of ikigai can wow it's very different it just means feel a life worth living and i'm sure most of most of us actually all of us would like love to have that feeling so that's <laughs> why nick is over here and we're going to delve deep into some questions with him he is also the founder and head coach of ikigai tribe 
a small community of educators, psychologists, coaches, and trainers who serve their personal communities using the Ikigai concept. Well, now I have said this word way too many times today, <laughs> just in like in a minute or so. So we're going to jump right into this. I'm going to ask Nick all about, Nick, I know that you migrated to Japan long back and you spent a really good time over there. So what motivated you to shift to Japan and how different was it from your own country? Yes. So actually the, the first time I went to Japan when I was five and that's in 1977, believe it or not. So I have some memory of that trip. I remember a babysitter looking after me and my brother and she was holding us origami. So I had these fond memories. And then in 1995, I was studying hospitality. And at that time, there were a lot of tourists, Japanese tourists coming to Australia. When I was studying hospitality at my college, there was this opportunity to go to Japan. And I was really excited by that idea. And I thought, oh, yeah, I'd love to go to Japan. And so going, I was, yeah, very fortunate to be awarded the scholarship, uh, the traineeship. And that was for one Interesting. year. Yeah. And it basically meant I was going to work in a restaurant for a year. And this company were planning to open a chain of restaurants in Melbourne. Oh, wow. So it was a big opportunity. I remember just being so excited about wanting to go. And I did everything possible to make sure I could go. So I was so happy when I was awarded the traineeship. And then, yeah, I went to Tokyo. Good on you. And it was, I mean, I was just so excited. I really thought, I really didn't think anything other than that. I was so excited. So when I got there, yeah, it was amazing. It was sort of overwhelming in this very positive way. Everything, I mean, the beautiful thing about Japan is everything's different. But then the challenging thing about Japan is everything's different. So if you are, if you can adapt to change and embrace change and you're really interested, yeah, you'll have a great time. So I had a really good time. Sometimes I got homesick. But, yeah, everything Japanese do is different. The way they communicate, the way they eat, the, obviously the way they talk, the way they engage. So you, you do have an opportunity to obviously learn a lot when you go to a country that's you know, very, very different to your own culture. Right. So, Nick, that sounds like a big leap that you took. I, th I think you were, as you mentioned, you had gone the fair traineeship. You were in your college time and you were, I would say, an adult to be able to take your own decisions and, you know, go forward with, with whatever decision that you take. But that's also the time when most of us are, you know, surrounded by all kinds of, you know, thoughts, voices. What am I doing in my life? Am I making the right decision? Have I achieved enough? Whatever mm. I started off with. So when you did take that step, when you went to Japan, and as you mentioned that it was the good part was it was different and that was a challenging part. So I'm really interested to know, and if you could just take us through like in top three challenges that you felt in the first year that you were there, because there are a lot of listeners who are here with us. They are youngsters or they are in that phase, you know, that because everything is so global, people are migrating to different countries and making their own life somehow. So if you would like to share your top three challenges when you 
first then then the first year if you remember some and how did you overcome that i think that would be very interesting for our listeners sure i think the first challenge was understanding and accepting that things can be done differently or are done differently just because you've done something your whole life a certain way doesn't make that the best way so i was a little bit younger then and so maybe at at sometimes i wasn't fully receptive to different ways of doing things and i i think oh that's that's an odd way of doing that or that's strange um but i think with age you begin to learn oh, okay there are different ways of doing things and you can be receptive and open to those obviously learning japanese was a real challenge the way japanese speak there's a perception that they're very polite and very formal and and they are in certain contexts but there's also this very casual way of speaking japanese and when you learn a language generally you learn a very textbook old school way of learning i mean i i did back obviously in the 90s now we have things like youtube and people are really lucky they can learn a language um, pretty much how it's spoken and then i think learning to deal with homesickness at times uh, at times it was it was a bit isolating it was hard to make friendships i think because it was only going to be one year and i was working 6 days a week basically from wow. 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. so we only had one day off and the opportunity to make friends wasn't really there so i i certainly made friends with my coworkers that was hard and i remember some nights or some days finishing work and just thinking oh i'm so tired and you know i've got to come back to work tomorrow yeah. and i was really thinking oh, i i need to take a holiday or i need to yeah. make some friends yeah so what kept you going despite these three top challenges which i can totally resonate with because even i have migrated to a new country and i can feel everything that you're saying right <laughs> now So what kept you going despite all these challenges I certainly felt a sense of gratitude and obligation to my employer so they they trusted me they gave me this opportunity so i i felt obviously i've got to just keep going i did have a strong interest in learning so i i found ways to hack learning oh. i would buy um i'd basically buy picture books for children and start learning to read japanese while i was cooking <laughs> so multitasking sort of cooking and then when there was a break i'd pull out the book and sort of be reading this children's book on you know japanese history or animal names and then i did actually have friends who i had met in melbourne before going to japan and so i had a handful of good friends and once they had come back to japan i was able to reconnect with them and see them and you know call them and then even <laughs> this will sound so strange but i used to hand write letters to family and friends and that was a way to feel connected and kind of i could share these positive things and sort of remind myself you know overall this experience is good so that's <laughs> yeah lovely that's something amazing isn't it i sort of <laughs> never do that now imagine writing a, a letter now <laughs> actually uh, it's it's i don't find it funny in fact i find it really heart touching and heartwarming i i would say because this is something that we don't do these days so i mean mm. the value of that particular activity is i associate the value even more now because 
there are not many people who would do this for you and if they do it really means something yeah. and there's something very interesting that you mentioned that what kept you going and my takeaway is that you said you were grateful besides the obligation that you had you you also had that feeling of being grateful because uh, unless you are thankful about something grateful about something and it becomes really challenging it becomes like a burden to keep moving mm. forward so you were focused and you did find ways out to make things interesting for you which is amazing and i'm sure our <laughs> listeners the audience over here if they are in the same situation they know that they need to innovate if things start stagnating that's where you come in your creativity comes in my friend mm. that you have to innovate now moving from here i wanted to understand you come from a profession which is i believe it's it's one of the most profession where you, people really do hard work being in hospitality it, it's no easy job physically mentally it's very straining from both ends so from this particular job how did you transition into a, philo- a philosopher a psychologist an educator how did you take that journey if you can well, take us through that Sure that I mean it was a long journey but I remember after finishing the traineeship and going back to Melbourne there was a delay with the company opening restaurants and after 2 years it really didn't seem like they were going to open restaurants and we I really had no idea what was going on and I actually wanted to go back to Japan I went back to teach English and I mean that was kind of strange because I I wasn't very academic and I struggled with English but I was very good at communicating and being patient and caring and when you go to Japan you're you're actually teaching conversational English for the most right. part and I worked at this commercial school which was called an Aikaiwa school which means an English conversation school and you're basically guiding people on how to have conversations and so that was interesting to do that as a job and then to be in Japan and having fun and reconnecting with friends and again studying Japanese and then i just had this desire to always some stage i just wanted to do my own own thing and i knew from pretty much my mid to late 20s that i i just had this desire to desire to do my own thing and yeah. eventually i started my own school some years later i i moved to the the town where my wife is from much smaller than tokyo and i started my own school there what's funny um yeah you sort of make these decisions but also sometimes they you know they they're not the best decision you you realize oh well i've i've created a school i can't grow it large enough to employ anyone and i can't i can't leave it because can't take holidays because I I've got to be looking after my students. And so you obviously you learn when you start making these decisions and you tend to see things with very positive ambitious eyes, but then yeah. when you start doing the actual work, you realize okay, there's a few challenges, but that's probably a part of growth. And then it led to me learning about the internet and then I learned about marketing. I made my first language product with my business partner in Japan and then we we had a son and then by the time he was about 3 we we felt coming back to Australia would sort of be best for him because Australia's a multicultural and a few other reasons yeah and i actually did go back to a job when i returned to melbourne mm mm-hmm. and it was 
the worst experience of my life. Oh. <laughs> so it was just. It so was, sorry to hear that. Yeah. It was meaningless work. There was workplace bullying. And it really got me quite depressed. And I just thought, this can't go on. I, I can't continue to live like this. So I thought I would rather do my own thing and fail than continue to live like this. So I literally one day, I just got a manager, I got a witness and said, all this bullying has been happening and I'm leaving now. And I just walked out. And yeah, that was really hard, but it felt so freeing. I can't tell you how freeing it felt to walk out the doors and just think, I'll never have to put up with this, you know, bullying and crap again. So that was, yeah, that sort of defining moment because it really then led to me pursuing all these different things. And I tried all these various online businesses. And then eventually, sort of 10 years into doing that, I stumbled upon Ikigai. And there is a backstory because I was introduced to the word Ikigai way back in 1998. So on my first day of teaching, I was, you know, young and ambitious and sort of yeah. showing off my Japanese to these <laughs> Japanese coworkers on a lunch break. We were walking to this cafe or a restaurant and this Japanese girl just casually said, oh, what's your Ikigai in, in Japanese? Yeah. And I'm like, Ikigai? What's that? Like, and I didn't know what it, she meant. And she gave me this explanation that kind of blew my mind. And I was like, wow, you have one word that encapsulates purpose and the reason why we get up in the morning and the reason why, reason why we battle on through life. And I felt, gee, that's just amazing. And I remember wanting to go, I remember going into work the next day, wanting to talk to this coworker about this word. And being disappointed to find out that she'd been transferred. And I was, oh. I think I was thinking all morning about, oh, I've got to talk to this girl about this word Ikigai. And then, yeah, life got in the way. Um, and just, I moved on with working. And, but then 10 years later, about 10 years later, yeah, I, I started seeing the Venn diagram and all these romantic notions that Ikigai is a word from Okinawa and it's a, you know, it's the secret to longevity. And I just knew factually all of that was either wrong or exaggerated. And then it kind of blew up. And then I started seeing Ikigai everywhere, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on blog posts, in TED Talks, everyone sharing the, the Venn diagram, which I'm sure you've seen and yeah. probably your audience knows about that Venn diagram that asks, are you doing something that you love, that you're good at, that the world needs and that you can be paid for? Thank you so much thought, for taking us through that because yeah. I'm sure some of them know, some of them don't know. And stay tuned right now because this is the place where Nick is going to take us through that. What is this different perspective on Ikigai? And I suppose by now you've understood what Ikigai is. As Ken yeah. said, it's the purpose of living. What is that that helps you wake, wake up every day? Now, the conversation that Nick had with the Japanese girl, we wouldn't know but we will know what Nick has discovered and what's that different take that he can tell us now. So Nick, the floor is all yours. Sure. I guess the way I can answer this now is I've spent the last two and a half years interviewing Japanese researchers, Japanese authors, non-Japanese who've studied the concept. 
And it's really interesting for two sort of main reasons. For Japanese, Ikigai is very simple. It's, it's something very small and personal. And it might be their pet. It might be something like camping. It might be for grandparents. It's usually their grandchildren. So it's not something grandiose and flamboyant and ambitious. So for your average Japanese, it's, it's something quite small. And maybe in Japanese culture, we could understand it as a, a coping mechanism because Japanese do live stressful lives. They tend to work longer and harder and they probably appreciate these smaller things that help them you know, get through the day. So that's one way to look at it. Now, there's a growing body of research on the Higai concept that started in the 60s and has continued on. And there was a pioneering researcher called Mirko Kamiya who wrote the seminal book called Ikigai ni Tsuite. And Tsuite means about or regarding. So it might be regarding Ikigai or about Ikigai. And this book is still referenced today. It's, it's considered standard. And yeah, even researchers refer to it now. And she discovered that there were seven Ikigai needs we needed to satisfy in order to feel Ikigai calm. So Ikigai calm means Ikigai feeling or Ikigai awareness or Ikigai perception. So the key difference is Ikigai is something you feel. You have an experience and then you feel it. And so she said we have Ikigai sources. So again, relationships, people, hobbies, aspects of our work, even memories. So we have these sources, and then related to these sources, we have feelings. So it really is something you feel. It's not something you achieve or earn. It's certainly not relatable or influenced by money. So, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the big difference. It's something you feel, and we are human beings who feel. So <laughs> we want to feel that life is worth living. Yeah. Yes. So the difference that we are looking at over here is that when the Venn diagram started kind of circulating everywhere, the Venn diagram propagated the thinking that what you love and what you want to do, and if that can earn you money, is exactly the thing that will keep you happy and you should keep mm. going. Whereas if I've understood this correctly, the essence is, the basic essence is that Ikigai is something that you love and you feel for it, that you feel that you have done something good, that, that's the way that you feel about Ikigai. I hope I, I've got this correct. Sort of. It, it, it is definitely something you feel. And for, most, for the most part, it could be something you love. But as we all know, in life, if we overcome a challenge or if we grow or if we face fears and break through them, we gain some deeper understanding of who we are. So yes. Ikigai is very much about your sense of self. And a very good way to understand it is, are you living your values? Or even do you even know what your values are? Because your Ikigai is aligned to your values. And so I always say, if you're living in harmony with your values or you're expressing your values, you will feel Ikigai. But if you're forced to compromise your values because of your work or a relationship, Obviously, you're not going to feel Ikigai. Now, 
Cami Amirkor, she said there were basically seven needs we needed to satisfy in order to feel ikigai. And they are life satisfaction, change and growth, having a bright future, resonance, which really means social affiliation, so having meaningful relationships, freedom or having a sense of freedom, self-actualization, meaning and growth. And then to add to that, she spoke of the importance of having a sense of purpose. And maybe back in the 60s where people probably couldn't really explore purpose that much because they were more like a cog in the wheel of these big, big companies. I think today this sense of purpose has become crucial for us. And she did write that you feel ikigai most intensely when you have a sense of purpose and you're pursuing something you feel that only you can do. Wow. But that thing you're pursuing doesn't have to be something big. It can be something quite humble. And so, yeah, I really think there are eight ikigai needs. And, you know, a lot of people might relate them to something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the top part of his yes. um, pyramid, or there's the PERMA model that's often used in coaching. So it's very relatable to positive psychology or intrinsic motivation. And, yeah, it goes back to, to feeling ikigai. And sometimes it won't be something you love because it, it might be this challenge you have to endure. But once you get through it, you realize, wow, I'm, I'm capable of something more. Like I, I didn't realize I had this in me. So it's very much tied to, yeah, your identity and almost like the, the growth, growth mindset and self-actualizing where you're not, you're not trying to be the best version of yourself. You're just trying to express your unique imagination through creativity. That's how Camille described self-actualization, where you express your uniqueness through your creati uh, creativity, whether that is something creative like art or whether it's in business or whether it's in cooking or parenting. So she was a fascinating, she was a, a doctor, a researcher, she yeah. became a professor, she had the most incredible resume. She tutored the Princess Michiko, the, form, the former Empress of Japan. She was a linguist, a translator. Right. And even though she was incredibly successful, for her, writing was her ikigai, and she didn't pursue that until her mid-40s. Wow. And, yeah, she was successful. Uh, she had children, probably, you know, everything. Yes. I mean, way back then in the 60s, most Japanese women weren't doing anything like that. But she yeah. wasn't satisfied. For her, writing was important, and she wanted to express herself through writing. Yeah. So that gives you a bit of history on this research pioneer, Kami Amiyako. And what it means from a research level. So, Nick, thank you so much for taking us through what Ikigai really means in a lot of depth, but also like in, in very crisp, clear language. And it's very interesting to know that it is the smallest of the things that make you feel happy or that make you express your unique self is where the ikigai lies so i think this mm. is very interesting and i am so glad that i had this conversation we everyone who's listening to us watching us 
we had this conversation with you and we are honored that you could share this platform and more than anything uh, nick i really like to thank you for being so honest and authentic and real about your journey because you just did not share the moment where you realized your ikigai and that how you're living your life but you've also shared with us the failures the mistakes that you once mm. did how you felt and how did you overcome what actions you took <laughs> because that is very important and mm. it's not easy to open ourselves the dark spaces of ourselves with so many people but i really want to tell you it will help a lot of people who are listening to us because when we hear someone sharing their pain we feel that okay we maybe we even we can share it with someone else and it becomes easier so thank you so much for being on my first step ever and just so that i can wrap up the question that i had asked of, sure. uh, over there uh so from this amazing journey i think that's when you found your ikigai and exactly when that you started being a researcher or psychologist or philosopher so right now in your space where you have found your ikigai what are the top 3 things that you are grateful about every day good question i think i'm very grateful for being born you know in australia and at this time um, most people are born into poverty or hardship so i'm extremely lucky to be educated to be from a safe wealthy country and to be yeah to be able to find these opportunities and that's something i try to remind myself of like if i'm having a bad day you know really i'm having a bad day because i'm you know frustrated about something about work or i'm just not feeling you know um excited or something so yeah being grateful for where i where i'm born and where I've been, where i've um grown up in the education i think i think um all the people who've recently all these uh, people who've helped me so i've had so many professors and researchers and authors freely given me their time they've, they've come on to my podcast yeah. and some have allowed me to publish their work in my book so that's amazing and then i think i'm grateful i guess for you know family and friends everything they've they've done for me there's so much our parents probably have done for us that we will never know about we just won't know what what they've done for us same with friends and you know a friend came up to have lunch with me yesterday and he treated me to lunch and i was a bit stressed and uh, yeah i sort of realized well wow, i'm lucky so i made sure to you know text him and say thanks mate for coming up so we're we're really lucky with the friends or family we have we just got to stop and as you say take time to appreciate it yeah and so i'm grateful to you too <laughs> so am i and i am so happy that this particular session the chat with you has been so amazing from your story of a young boy moving to a different country <laughs> going through different challenges coming across a particular term not knowing what exactly it was and then chancing upon different cha- challenges and difficulties but making their own mistake knowing what actions that need to be taken and then 
really finding the ikigai and now taking this platform all the platform that's available for you to share that with people so that they understand ikigai as early on as possible in their life so you mm. are already doing a lot for a lot of people my friend thank you so much nick for being on my first step ever and before we take your leave i always ask my guest speakers to leave our listeners with a thought or a saying that they really resonate with call or reconnect with an old friend so if there's a friend and you've been thinking oh i should call so and so call them and just check in with them and say i was thinking of you and yeah we should catch up Re- reconnect with someone and you'll feel so good and you will feel like you guy after that so that that's one way to feel like you guy because we can have many like you guys not just one thing can be many things so reconnect with someone you care about and just let them know you love them in some way you don't have to say i love you just just say i was thinking of you and how you going or take them out to lunch yeah I think that really takes out of pressure from a lot of people's mind that you really don't need to say I love you to express I love you. You can do that in different ways. Different ways, yeah. So, <laughs> Thank you so much, Nick, mm. for being on my first step ever. It's incredible, and I know for a lot of people who are listening to us, watching us, you might be very interested in what Nick is doing. So do check out his work. I will leave his link whenever I'm going to release this episode, and we. I'm really interested to follow his work. I have had. followed a few things that i really liked and it was an amazing sh- session to talk to him so my friends i'll see you soon next episode hi my friends if you have reached thus far today firstly thank you so much it really means that you have learned something out of today's episode and you have enjoyed so why don't you share it with me and let me know that what is that you have learned and what would you like to listen more in the upcoming episodes I love to build a relationship with my viewers and audiences and know what really is that helping them. So you can follow me on my Instagram handle which is at myfirststepever_in and subscribe to my YouTube channel for weekly video updates. And yes, if you like what I do over here, follow my first step ever on Google, Apple or Spotify and please drop your rating my show and comment well this can be a way you can help me achieve my dreams to reach out to millions who need to hear this as i help you in your journey in taking the first step ever until next time start believing in yourself and most importantly keep believing in yourself